0: Welcome back to the Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Juliana. And I'm Sophia. And today we're going to be talking about sanctity in work. Yes. And it's a very special episode because we are actually in person for Live the first time. in
1: person in the same room. <laughs> so no Zoom for this one.
0: So we decided to pick this topic because with the pandemic, it's becoming more and more relevant to each of our lives to be living our work well. And many of the other aspects of our lives have been stripped away. I would say I see this not only in my own life and the lives of those close
1: to me, but also in the culture at large. I totally agree. I like the word that you use there, stripped away I think that when all that is superfluous in our life is taken away from us and even some of the essential things are removed from our day to day experience, what's left? It's the basics of your social interaction with the people that you're living with, your rest and your recreation, and it's your work. That's all that's left. And so I've really seen in my life that I have a heightened awareness of of both the joys and the trials of my work and have a heightened awareness of my own need to see the meaning of my work, mm-hmm. not just in a macroscopic sense of like, why am I getting a PhD What is the service of my research for the world? But today, like this computer programming script that I'm writing, like, how can I do this in a way that answers the needs of my heart for every instant of my life to be meaningful, Mm -hmm. to be in the context of some broader horizon? Um, So I'm really glad that we get a chance to talk about this today, because I agree with you. I've seen both in my life and in the broader culture that this is a huge need Mm -hmm. that we have um, and that. Adequate answers actually aren't being offered from other places in our society, and I think in particular from our educational institutions.
0: Hmm.
1: Like, I don't think that in my experience at Cambridge, I've been offered an understanding of work as anything but productivity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that what we're all tempted to and what we see in the culture is a loss of the understanding of the inherent meaning of work. Hmm productivity has become almost like an idol in many parts of our society and specifically in the institutions or jobs that I have been a part of. And I think that comes with two implications. The first is that work becomes an obstacle or a burden to be overcome. And the second is that We are asked to leave parts of ourselves at the door when we enter the workplace. Mm. And I see this, for example, in the many people who who say that they would like to wait to have children until they're established in their careers. There's this conception that you have to put aside who you are and the fundamental desires of your life until a certain work goal is accomplished. And it doesn't even have to be a big decision like starting a family. It's even things as simple as spending time with your friends or pursuing hobbies and interests that you have outside of work. Work becomes the end-all be-all, but to no end. It's like we're hamsters
1: stuck in a wheel that never Mm -hmm. ends. Wow. What an image. That's a great image, though, because it gets at the fact that you're constantly churning out more output, but what is it directed towards? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, well, from your experience in consulting, I think you've probably had a more direct view into the business world. But I agree that we see it in academia as well, that there's sort of this grasping at something that you can create or you can achieve or you can seize that will mean that it's enough for you. That this frantic pursuit of a never ending chain of goals, like you said, the hamster on the wheel, it will be enough if you reach that certain promotion or that certain work goal or that certain outcome. But it's never enough. It's never enough. And if you, as you said, and if you sacrifice everything else in your life for this certain ideal you have in mind, then ultimately when you get to that place of achievement and it's not enough, what are you left with? But but avoid where the rest of it should be.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think we can see evidence of our inherent desire for deeper meaning in work. Mm-hmm. I think we see this in the desire of each of us to be doing something noble, to be changing the world for the better. Mm-hmm. We see this in For example, the very well-deserved broad public support for the frontline medical workers during the COVID crisis. So we recognize that there is a beauty and meaning in work. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that our view is limited and is short-sighted. And we attribute meaning in work with only work that has a quote-unquote noble goal. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that's not enough because... There are many, many of us who will have to choose a career because we need to put food on the table for our family, or we do what our gifts and talents are best suited for. And that's not always going to be, you know, saving lives in the ER. Mm -hmm. And yet we all have that goal to have meaning in our work. And so our question for today is, how can we pursue that goal, no matter what our work is? in every profession, in every job, and even work for which
1: you're not paid. Mm -hmm. I think that last point is really important because the promise here is a unity of life, right? It's freedom from this mentality of living for the weekend or living for the hours after work um, or living for the time when you'll finally be able to go on vacation. It's a revolution that enables you to say, No, my work is part of my life. Like Mm -hmm. you said, my job, my nine to five, but also the work that I do at home, the work that I do in service to my community, the work that I do for my family, all of it is part of one life. And if any of it is worth doing, if any of it has Mm -hmm. any meaning, then so does my work. It's not something that I can just set aside in my heart's search for its purpose.
0: Right, and I would add that The unity is because we walk one path towards our ultimate goal, which is eternal happiness with the Lord. And every part of our life is an opportunity for sanctification Mm -hmm. and an opportunity to encounter Christ.
1: Absolutely. Perhaps even especially the humbling ones, which I think of work as Mm -hmm. probably one of the most effective ways to pursue sanctity because it's... So humbling. At least in my experience, it's one of the places that I come up against my own limitations and my own failures most readily. Um, So I think it's Mm -hmm. not only possible, but it's actually a really beautiful opportunity we don't want to miss Mm -hmm. to pursue this unity and to find the sanctity that you're talking about. So how would we describe this then? I think one phrase that we could use is that work is your vocation. It's a calling, like you said, leading you to eternal happiness with God. And so it's something that's given to you by another. Mm -hmm. And it's a task that's placed before you right now, today, in the present moment. So it's your vocation, not just in the broad sense of your state of life, but your calling for today, how you're supposed to live today, your relationship with God.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. and that bestows a dignity on everything we do. Hmm. The dignity of work, the church tells us, comes from our sharing in the creative work of God, our father. And this is made possible because God, in his loving compassion, has made us in his own image and likeness. In Jesus' ministry itself, we see his love for the work of man. We see this, of course, first and foremost in his first 30 years on Mm -hmm. earth where he was a simple carpenter with his father, St. Joseph. And this perhaps comes out in a really dramatic moment when he's trying to preach to the crowds and they say so dismissively, who is this? Is this not the carpenter? Right. But I think it also comes out in the many, many parables that he uses to teach us, because in those parables, we see a wide range of different individuals who somehow in their work, they are reflecting part of the mystery. Mm -hmm. And St. John Paul II, in one of his encyclicals, is speaking about this and he says, It can indeed be said that Christ looks with love upon human work and the different forms that it takes, seeing in each one of these forms a particular facet of man's likeness with God, the Creator
1: and Father. That's beautiful. I love that quote from John Paul II. And you're absolutely right, thinking about the parables really helps because— You know, you've got folks working in a vineyard, you have stewards who are investing money. So There's nothing that's off the table when it comes to participating in the creative work of God the Father, which also is just one of my favorite images to reflect on in prayer. You know, anytime I'm feeling distant from God, it's enough for me. Usually it's enough for me to recall the fact that God's creative work of my being is continuing right now. And if it weren't, I wouldn't be here to be praying to him, you know? So it's amazing to think that the way that I can reflect that in my own life, in my own being, the way that I can continue carrying out that creative work through my own participation in it is through my work, is through my neuroimaging work and pouring over these scientific journal papers that even that somehow can be participating in the work of my creator God. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the examples that we've seen of people living their work well Mm -hmm. who show us that this is possible. Mm -hmm. Who would you say has
1: played that role for you? That's a really great question because it doesn't come naturally to me to live my work this way. I'm naturally just, like, very obsessed with efficiency. I have a tendency to perfectionism, as you know well, and (laughs) a desire to achieve and to produce and things that can be good if they're ordered properly, but left to my own devices, they definitely aren't. So... Relationship with people who do live their own work in a beautiful way, in keeping with its dignity and keeping with its true meaning in Christ for their own sanctification. This has been so important to my journey, uh, to where I am today and how I strive at least to live my work. Um, I would say that for me, the emblem of work is vocation of this mystery that we're talking about are the Benedictine nuns of the Abbey of St. Walburga. So as some of our listeners may know, it's a Benedictine abbey in Colorado, a community of about 30 cloistered Benedictine nuns, and it's also a cattle ranch. So the nuns, most of them are engaged in manual labor on the farm. Some of them do things in the abbey itself. I spent a summer working with them during haying season, so I was out in the fields Taking care of the bales of hay and herding the cows and feeding the water buffalo and taking care of the chicken coop and all these things. And it was really from these nuns that I saw what it means in the rule of St. Benedict that work is a continuation of prayer, of the liturgy, specifically of the divine office, that there's no separation between the two. Um, Because these nuns pray the seven hours of the divine office. In full habit, chanting on solemnities in Latin, this sublime moment of praise of God in these ancient words of scripture. And then they change into their genes and they're out, you know, in the fields shoveling manure, right? So it really is a stark contrast. And it's impossible not to look at what they do and ask, how is it possible? How is it possible that women who live such a hidden life and whose work is so humble have such joy in their work and such purpose in what they do? And the only answer really that is satisfying, at least in my opinion, is that they see their work as the path to encounter with God. Mm -hmm. It is prayer for them.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a really beautiful witness and... What you're talking about, the continuity between prayer and work, reminds me of the charge that we receive at the end of every Mass. Mm. The priest tells us, Go and glorify the Lord by your life. We praise God first, and we receive his word and his grace in the sacraments, and we carry that out in the world in every aspect of our life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Every aspect. The the hidden and the humble and the difficult ones as well as the ones that are easier. But it's interesting because you can't produce this unity on your own. It's not because these nuns are holier that they can do it. It's not because they try harder that they can somehow generate this continuity between work and prayer. No, the only reason they can do it is because Christ is present at that monastery with them. He is happening to them. So because of the incarnation, there is an event that happens in our daily life that is the source of this unity. And I think this distinction is really important because my tendency, whenever I realize I've fallen into distraction at work or looking at my work as a burden or bemoaning whatever I have to do, my reflexive solution is to try harder and to be more Mm -hmm. virtuous. But it never really works. It just works until I fall the next time. The only thing that can actually unify my life is an event that happens to me is the love of Christ who I'm seeking in my work. So it's not that I need to find this meaning and put it in my work. It's that I need to go into everything that I do with eyes open searching for him. Mm-hmm. So as I said, this doesn't come naturally to me, but one place that I've really learned it is through following the movement of CL. And I think that ecclesial movements in the church in general are really powerful forces here precisely because they're mostly made up of lay members and Mm -hmm. mostly they're full of charisms that exalt the possibility of holiness in one's everyday life. They're schools of the Lord's service, as St. Benedict would say. They're schools for learning how to find Mm -hmm. the meaning of the event of Christ in your daily life. And for lay people, that often means work in a professional job.
0: That's absolutely right. And, of course, I belong to Seattle as well. But I have also remained close to the movement of Opus Day, oh, yeah, in a couple ways in the last few years, my spiritual director is in Opus Day, and my husband attended an Opus Day School until college. And I see and I learn from a lot of elements of the Opus Dei movement in the way he approaches his own work. Of course, Opus Dei means works of God. And one of the principal teachings of Opus Dei's founder, St. Jose Maria Escriva is exactly what we've been talking about. The fact that all work is an opportunity for sanctification and all work is an apostolate. It's an opportunity to give of ourselves to others, to reflect the love of Christ to them, and to lead them to the Father. I
1: love that. Can you expand a little bit more on what he says about work in particular?
0: Yeah, so he emphasizes that when we do our work as a prayer, we make an offering to God Hmm. out of love for him and for his people. And just as when we do anything or give anything to someone we love, we want it to be done well. Just think about when you're in love with someone and you want to do all the little things right for them. Mm -hmm. You want to open the door for them. You want to dress well or load the dishwasher correctly. Cook them the food that they love. Exactly. Even if it's something that's not particularly objectively meaningful, it is a sign of love. And that is the attitude we should have before our work, we should offer it to God, done well and done with love, in order for it to be worthy of Him. Mm-hmm. St. Jose Maria really makes it clear that the stakes are tremendously high here. He says that without God, no work is by its nature small or big, important or unimportant. The most important work and what renders work important is when
1: it's done with love of God. Mm. What an exaltation of daily life. Right, right. And I think we see this in the saints, right? I mean, of course, that quote makes me think of St. Therese and her little way. Mm -hmm. But I think we see it in all the saints. I mean, they had every profession under the sun, from craftsmen and traders to kings and queens, you know? And there's no work that we would say is unimportant there because all of them worked out of love of God. That's beautiful, right? That's what we're all made for. So mm-hmm. how do we get there? I mean, because I don't know about you, but my goal is to mm-hmm. be a saint, right? So if I'm going to be a saint neuroscientist, like, what do I need to live my work in a way that will get me to that place of sanctity?
0: I would say that the most important thing, which we've hinted at a little, is that we cannot do it on our own. Totally. We need to acknowledge our need before Christ and ask him to give us the grace to do our work well. Mm -hmm. And what's really important to clarify here is that doing our work well does not mean succeeding. You know, here we break from the obsession with productivity in the world because doing our work well does not mean a promotion or making money or getting published. It means putting our whole effort into what we're doing out of love for God.
1: This is not a prosperity gospel
0: exactly. that we're following. Absolutely. Exactly. And in fact,
1: failing is probably more conducive to our holiness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so long, well, as it's we're, so it's long as true. So long as we're putting all of our effort in there.
0: And hand in hand with that, as we're working, we really need to be detached from the outcome. Mm-hmm. Not only does the outcome not dictate how well we're working, but it's also something that we need to let go of in order to work well.
1: hmm I think students can readily recognize this because i bet that most of us have had the experience of loving a class so much that we stopped thinking about the grade. And i don't know about your experience, but whenever i had those moments, it was usually in my theology classes. Those moments of falling in love with a course that i stopped thinking about the exams and the scores on the papers and things. I usually ended up doing better. So there's a sense in which detachment from our own success and our achievement and our productivity doesn't actually hamper the ends of our work, but enhances it because we have a greater freedom there. Exactly. It's a source of freedom. I do think it's harder, though, now that we are financially independent and responsible, and some of us may be planning for families. um, There's a sense in which the temptation to be attached to the material outcomes of your work is stronger because it's not just about your well-being anymore, but also that of others. Mm -hmm. It's a serious challenge that the Lord lays down.
0: Yeah. And of course, that's not to say that working for financial stability is bad. It can be exercising prudence and virtue when you're doing so to take care of other people that are dependent on you. But I do think that it has to be lived as with everything in relationship with Christ.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think with work, the promise there is so huge because when you do live it in relationship with Christ, Even your work that may seem dreary or repetitive or humble, all of it can become a source of wonder. So I have in mind, for me, the icon of this in my life is one summer I was working at the National Institutes of Health. And there was one week that I was just doing a very repetitive analysis on Certain slices of rat brain tissue that I had dissected and I was using fluorescence microscopy to try to identify a particular population of cells and really on the face of it, it was just this very mechanical repetitive work throughout the week. But I was so swept away by the beauty of the cells that I was looking at. These neurons with these elaborate processes communicating to each other in these brilliant colors because of the dyes that I had used to stain the cells. I was so overwhelmed by the beauty of it. That I spent the week in like rapture and picture this, this is like in a tiny microscope room. Of course, the lights are out. I have no idea what time of day it is. I'm just sitting there hour after hour. And my back hurts. But the beauty of these cells reminded me that the work that I was doing was pointing to a reality that was given and that was beautiful. It was a tangible reminder that all of life is like this, you know? It might be that we live the same thing day after day and that it's simple on the face of it, but that doesn't mean that there's not a beauty there. Mm -hmm. If we open our eyes to it, a beauty there that can provoke our wonder. And it naturally springs forth in praise to the creator of that reality, right? And longing for union with the one who's present in it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. So I guess just to summarize what we've been saying, we've kind of said there's three aspects to our prayer with respect to our work. The first is humility, recognition of our own limits. The second would be detachment from our success. And the
1: third you're saying should be gratitude and wonder. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. And all of this is begging, right? You need to beg for humility, beg for detachment, Mm -hmm. and beg for this wonder because none of it is a moralistic effort of your own will. And as you said, a big part of that comes from companionship with other people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the fact that prayer is so essential to working well brings up another point, which is that work is only done well when we recognize its proper place in our lives, which is subordinate to our duties to God and to the people he has placed in our lives to serve. Amen. It's very easy when you're, doing important work, and you're even doing it well to get sucked in. And there may be seasons in our life where that's necessary, but it's also a great temptation. And I think we have to constantly be objectively taking stock of where we are and reprioritizing where necessary.
1: So what does it look like to resist that temptation to get sucked into your work, whether it's the amount of energy or the amount of time that you're spending on your work at the expense of your family and and other commitments like prayer?
0: I would say there's no easy answer because God is calling each person to something different and even each one of us might be called to a different balance at different times of our life. Throughout all of this, work should be helping us live our relationship with God and helping us live our relationship with our spouse or our community and not taking the place of those relationships. And here, one thing that's been helpful in my life is to identify concrete commitments in all the areas that I care about, my relationship with God, my spouse, service work in my community, and treat it as a red flag if I'm tempted to put off or miss those commitments for work So if I'm tempted to, you know, ask my husband to work through dinner when we usually try to sit down together or I'm delaying my evening prayer, for me, that's a red flag that perhaps my priorities are slipping away from me and getting out of order. Again, that's not to say that, you know, on a particularly crazy day, our routine can't change. But if those commitments have been properly discerned and set for our stage in life, we should be
1: able to regularly fulfill them. I love that, that sense of attentiveness to the signs in your life that something's getting out of place Mm -hmm. because it is a dynamic and it's a continual process of discernment, isn't it? You mentioned that this is something specific to our state in life and that it's something that's dynamic. And I agree with that. I will say, however, that I think for most single people, especially young people, it's possible to pray a holy hour every single day. So I would invite all of our listeners who might be in that state of life to consider if for them it is in fact possible to pray a holy hour every single day. For me, it was a revolutionary practice when I started doing that. I realized that it wasn't that I didn't have time. It's that I wasn't prioritizing the holy hour every single day.
0: I think another reformulation of that, if an hour sounds super overwhelming, is I try to see how much time I'm spending on things like reading the news, social media, watching TV, and never have that be greater than the amount of time that I'm praying. Mm -hmm. There have been times in my life where I have felt so busy. And when I actually take an objective look at my day, there are ways in which I'm wasting significant periods of time. So I would also say that kind of evaluation
1: can be really helpful. That fits in really well with the examine of reviewing the ways that God has been working in your day and how you've been spending your time.
0: On the topic of spending our time well, even when we are pursuing virtue and pursuing a relationship with God, it's still easy to fall into this checklist productivity mindset. Yeah. And there, the tool to combat that would be recognizing the importance of rest and in fact, resting and resting well.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. And this gets back to what we were saying about work being a participation in continuing the creation of God, because God didn't work every single day of the week, right? The story of creation culminates with him pronouncing his creation good and resting. God rested on the seventh day. Pope Benedict XVI has a great homily of this in his book, uh, In the Beginning. And he says, if I can just read a really quick quote, he says, Creation is oriented to the Sabbath, which is the sign of the covenant between God and humankind. Creation is designed in such a way that it is oriented towards worship. It fulfills its purpose and assumes its significance when it is lived ever new with a view to worship. Creation exists for the sake of worship. So, Pope Benedict really insistently draws this link between rest and proper worship of God. So it's inherent in our status as creatures that we recognize our finitude and our limits and rest in the knowledge that we are not the creator of the world, Mm -hmm. but that we are created to worship the one who is. That's a really beautiful quote. And I've been thinking
0: recently about how the practice of observing a Sabbath seems to have been lost or at least significantly diluted. Mm -hmm. And thinking about ways to incorporate that in my own life better than I currently do, maybe that's something else to pray about, Mm -hmm. how God is asking you to rest and enter into
1: relationship with him more fully on Sundays, our Sabbath day. I love that. Yeah, I recently watched the movie Chariots of Fire. And anyone who's seen it knows that one of the key plot points is an athlete who won't compete on Sundays. And I find it really provocative. I do my best not to do academic work on Sundays, um, but I find it hard to truly take it as the Lord's Day. But when I do manage to, it really shapes the whole week. It's the punctuation mark that makes the whole week intelligible, you know? Well, as we near the end of the episode, let's get really practical. And I think part of that is being realistic about what you need to work well. And I may be biased, but I think that the most important thing here is to understand how your brain works. Because in my studies of the brain, I've realized certain ways that I was working actually weren't conducive to working well. So for instance, multitasking people, multitasking is a myth. Your brain cannot do two things at once. It just switches quickly back and forth between one task and another and doesn't do either of them nearly as well as it could otherwise. If you want to dive into the research, I highly recommend it, but multitasking is a myth. So try not to do that. Uh, Another thing that can help is making sure that you're not adding other sources of stimulation when you're trying to work. So whenever possible, working in a silent environment, putting aside your phone, clearing cognitive space for focusing on the task at hand. Um, But there are loads of other neuroscience based tips. I'm sure if you just Google it, things will come up. Um, But things that can Work with your neurobiology to aid your attempts to grow in virtue when it comes to work.
0: I love that advice, and I also love how your studies in neuroscience prove so helpful to our daily lives. Yeah, law school is <laughs> not like that. <laughs> anyway, my practical tip, which is also going to be our weekly challenge would be to add something to your place of work that can serve as a visual reminder to turn to God throughout your workday. This could be something like a holy card, a verse from scripture. I often take verses from morning prayer that particularly speak to me in that day and write them on my desk to keep turning back to throughout the day. This could be something like religious art. I love the Angelus painting by... Jean-François Millet. Oh yeah. Which depicts two farmers in a field pausing to pray in the middle of their work day as the bells tolled the reminder for the Angelus at noon. And for me this depicts everything we were saying about how work should be subordinate
1: to our duties to God. Mhm. Absolutely. I've got loads of reminders like this up on the bulletin board next to my desk. I have to say though I think my favorite is A skull I keep on my desk (laughs) that I've named Sophia uh, to remind me that I'm going to die on a day that's fast approaching. And we'll do another episode on this. We'll do another episode on (laughs) this. But it does remind me to work well and to work for God's glory and to work in pursuit of encountering his face. Because when I'm dead and my body is decaying in my tomb, what's left but my soul's union with God. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that weekly challenge. And for our our listeners and for ourselves, we're hoping to end every episode with something like this, something actionable that helps us explore and live more deeply the things that we talked about in the episode. Because Julie and I and Adriana, we choose these topics not because we're great at them or have the answers, um, but because there's something that we're working on and that we see as essential to our own pilgrim journey to God. And toward that end, I also have a media recommendation for us for anyone who's looking for a good book to read. I don't know if you've read it. Ian McEwan's Saturday? No, I haven't. It's a beautifully poetic novel um, and not too long for anyone who's looking for a short read. Um, But it's about a successful neurosurgeon who's kind of coasting through life without a strong sense of its purpose or really its meaning. But a number of events happen in the story that provoke him to go more deeply into his daily experience um, with some really interesting results. So I highly recommend it because it's a window into how we can't escape this question of the meaning of our work. Even if we try to drown it out with external markers of success or just with more and more busyness, we can't escape our heart's thirst for meaningful work.
0: Sounds like a great read. And I'll definitely add it to my list. Well, do we have anything else for our listeners? Well, you can reach us at our email or our Instagram, both linked in the show notes. Thank you all so much for listening today. If you have any questions, comments, topic suggestions for us, we would love to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out to us.
1: And we'll also link to all of the other things we've talked about today. So if you're looking for a link, it can be found in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we hope to see you next week on The Pilgrim Soul.